Hey guys, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Hey Beth, how's it going? Good. Yeah. It's been a while. I I know. Yeah. We were just saying we haven't recorded in a bit and I missed seeing you on the Zoom. Yes. Yeah. Skype. We use Skype. Skype. On the Skype. (laughs) (laughs) Zoom, Skype. I don't know. I'm a homeschool teacher. Right. Okay. So I have to tell you this really funny story that Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, and they were like, one of the friends was like, so when you, they all listened to the podcast and they were, we were talking about it. And she was like, do you remember in the, back in the day in like the nineties, the shows rescue 911 and unsolved mysteries? Mm -hmm. Of course I do. Yes. I watched both of the shows. Everyone watched them. It was, you know, it was our childhood. And she was like, well, which one was your favorite? And I was like, oh, rescue 911 for sure. (laughs) And she was like, which one was Christy's favorite? And I was like, I mean, I probably unsolved mysteries. And she was like, that's you guys in your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You are vibe 911 with the drama and the ambulance. And you come like wheeling in with this big story. And Christy is like, Welcome back to another episode of Crimes and Classics. <laughs> I was like, you know what? That is so true. <laughs> it's 100% accurate, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yes, and she said she feels like she that we married her two favorite shows from her childhood, and she gets to listen to them every week. I know. I'm so glad to hear that. It makes me happy. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It makes our crime hearts burst with joy. Yes, yes. I love love hearing that um, we can make at least one listener happy. <laughs> She's the one. You're the she one. She is the one. Are you listening all 900 times that we're seeing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From 900 different computers. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, yep. Man. I loved yeah, it. That's awesome. Yeah, that was, that's pretty good because... Yeah, I do feel like I can get a little bit more serious. And yeah, you definitely come in with the sirens blaring. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the drama. Yeah, that's cool. I like the unsolved ones too. I'm just not good at them. I just, I don't have the voice for it. (laughs) (laughs) See, that was was stupid. I'm totally paying attention. (laughs) If you did that voice, I'd just laugh the entire time anyway. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to keep a straight face. Right. So I'll just stick with my ambulance sirens. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You do you. you. (laughs) It's working for you. It's working for us. It's okay. (laughs) So anyway, I guess we um, should just like jump into this, huh? Mm -hmm. Keep our uh, serial killer September rolling on. I know. Right? Fun month. Yeah. But when we're done, y'all, we're done, y'all. (laughs) and if when these serial killers come october well yeah we're yeah and possibly maybe serial killer september ends with 2020 (laughs) lives and dies in in the year of the apocalypse unless of course we get so much feedback that you loved the fact that we did it then maybe we'll have to bring it back but no you guys are gonna have to tell us what you think but i miss these cute little small Mm -hmm. towny crimes these big old 
big old cases are just, I don't know. It's different. It's it's definitely different. I like, and not that we only do stuff that nobody's heard of, but they're just less known. And I just, I don't know. I enjoy doing that more than something that people know about, like way more, you know, like something Mm -hmm. that five different podcasts have done and, you know, we're just another one telling that story, which, right. You know, it happens because there's definitely some interesting, bigger known, well, more well-known people out there that are just fun to talk about, but I'll be glad to get back to the small stuff. Yes. The unsolved mysteries. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unsolved <laughs> mysteries. Oh, see, <laughs> see, you should be the new host. <laughs> Netflix. Which, by the way, Netflix. let's point out that there isn't a host. True. And which is good because I don't think that they could ever replace that guy. Robert Stack. Stack. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he was just too good. And I don't know that anybody, like, I feel like I would just judge whoever took his place. I would too. Unless it was so. you. Okay. Well, I wouldn't judge me either. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then, let's get into um, serial killer number three for the month. And his Lucky name is number three. Lucky number three. His name is Todd Colehep. And I'm not sure that he is as big of a household name as Gacy or Kemper. No, but I've never heard of him. yeah, he's just as big of a weirdo as those Ooh. guys. And this guy was suggested to me by my friend Seth, who also lives here in Missouri. And he had suggested we cover him a while back, but initially it just didn't fit into our usual format. And so I, you know, kind of put it off, but then thought, okay, let's check him out for Serial Killer September because he fits the profile. Hey, Seth. So he was also very interesting to look in. So let's just get into it. He was born, Todd was born on March 7th, 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but he grew up mainly in South Carolina and Georgia. His mom and dad divorced when he was just two years old, and so he mainly lived with his mom after that. He actually, I think it was like eight years that he didn't see his dad after they got divorced. Oh. Mom remarried again within a year, and Todd did not have the best relationship with his stepfather. And he honestly wasn't, didn't seem like, as far as I can tell, the easiest child to get along with in general. So I can't imagine that most people had a very good relationship with him. Mm. In preschool, he was described to be aggressive and would damage other people's property. OPP, you know me. (laughs) It's probably not that kind of property, but (laughs) (laughs) not sure that's what they meant there. But anyway. Yeah, so he would damage, you know, break someone's toy or whatever, and he Mm. was aggressive towards other kids. And then at the age of nine, he started therapy, and he was described to be explosive and preoccupied with sexual content. Oh, goodness. At nine. Never good. We have nine-year-olds. Like, could you imagine either one of them even knowing (laughs) sex is? I tell you. I mean, I'm sure they do, but. (laughs) Times was different in the 70s, though. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. No, that's a problem. Yeah, no, it's a problem. I mean, he's already got a preschool record. Exactly. And now he's, yeah, being a freaky nine-year-old. Yeah. He was also, let's drum roll here, cruel to animals. Shocking, right? He shot a dog with a BB gun. 
it survived, but he shot it. <clears throat> and he killed a fish or his fish by dumping Clorox in the tank. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Basically explaining it away, though, nobody really thought these were like, you know, signs of anything because he kind of explained it away that he was, you know, he had to clean the tank before he could do anything else. So, well, let me skip a couple steps and just throw the Clorox in the tank. Well, and then the fish dies. So, you know, just which for a typical kid that might be like, okay, they're just skipping a few steps and they're trying to take a shortcut. But for a kid like him who is already has mm-hmm. all these issues to begin with, I don't know. So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Some have been known to say that his only emotion is anger. Mm. And at the age of 10, he spends three and a half months in a Georgia psychiatric hospital for his inability to get along with other children. Oh, wow. So he that's a big thing. He's only 10? Yeah. And they're like admitting him to an inpatient therapy program? Yeah, it's got to be bad for them to admit him to or commit him. Right. To a psychiatric ward for not getting along with other kids. I mean, it's, yeah, it's got to be a big deal. Yeah. So after this, his mom and stepdad separated and mom sent Todd to go live with her father. So his grandfather. And Todd described this as a terrible time in his life. His grandfather was mean, abusive. He even claimed that he got poked with like a cattle prod, which I guess kind of electrocutes them mm-hmm. or shocks them or something. That's to get them to like walk. Like if they're, yeah. you know, to walk them into a pen and you do that so that they giddy up. Right. But I'm sure if a human felt that. You know, no, I don't think it's fun for the cattle. No, I don't think it's fun for them yeah. because they're much bigger than a kid sure. you know, to feel that. So, yeah, this is what grandpa did. Mm. At the age of 12 in 1983, Todd finally convinces his mom to let him go live with his dad in Arizona. So he moves out there. And although he desperately wanted to live with him for years, Todd says that his time with his dad wasn't good either. He said that his dad was hardly ever home because he would be out and about with girls all the time. Now, interesting, kind of after I did all my research, I watched a docu-series on him on identif- um, investigative discovery and because it was just, I just wanted to see it after the fact. I didn't really want to add anything to it from that. But I do want to say that in there, the his father had his only interview with this person who did this um, documentary. And he said the complete opposite when he was interviewed. Mm. by He was like, I was home all the time. I was constantly helping him with his homework. I um, was helping him try to you know, figure out how to make new friends. And so that wasn't the case. I was always around, but Todd was saying that his dad was never around. Who knows what's that, you know, truth, but. Right. So regardless, Todd was unhappy there too and wanted to go back with his mother, but she kind of kept pushing it off with excuses, you know, so kind of pushing him not coming back. As I imagine if he's that difficult to handle, she was probably like kind of grateful for the break for a little bit. When sure. He his dad. So while he's still living with his dad in Tempe, Arizona, according to dad now, this is the one night that he left him alone. Todd said mm-hmm. he's alone all the time, but this is the one night that dad left him alone, according to his father. On November 25th, 1986, at the age of 15, Todd walked to a neighbor's house and kidnapped a 14-year-old girl while she was babysitting her brothers. 
Wait, so he's 15, she's 14. Yes. At gunpoint. Like he's holding it <gasps> to wow. her head, walking her down the I mean, back. This is a peer. Yes. It's not even like a younger no. kid. Yeah. Interesting. No, you know, so she knew him. She, he knocked on the door, you know, tried to get her to come outside for some reason. She was like, no, I'm babysitting. But he was persistent. And then he went to the back door and was trying to get her. And she was like, all right, fine. I'll just come out and look at whatever you want me to look at because she just wanted him to go away. And then he pulls the gun and takes her down the like back alley to his house. So when he gets the, um, his house, he ties her hands behind her back and taped her mouth shut and proceeds to rape her. Mm. Awful. He did decide after a while to let her go and told her that if she had told anyone that he would kill her, not her, her younger siblings and her parents. But police were already at her house when she got home. Actually, they saw the, um, the lights in this and heard the sirens coming while she was still at his house because her younger brother woke up and got scared when he realized that she wasn't at the house. And so the police were already at her house when she got home. But at first she tried to play it off that she was like out with, you know, a neighbor looking for a dog, but then she ended up breaking down and telling <clears throat> her parents. That poor thing. I know. So the police immediately go and arrest Todd. And he was charged with kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing a dangerous crime against a child. Being a child himself. Yeah. So what? Give it to him. I know. Exactly. Roll the book at him. Well, so in 1987, he pled guilty to kidnapping and the other charges were dropped. And he was sentenced to 15 years in an adult prison and would have to register as a sex offender upon release. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And during this time, a psychological evaluation was done on him, and it was concluded that he had borderline personality disorder, which I'm sure you're probably not surprised. Yeah. Mm. And also had an IQ of 118, which is considered above average. Okay. It's always the smart ones. I know. I kind of want to get, like, see what my IQ is. I know. I'd be curious, too. I've never done it. No. I'd be curious. Well, we should do that. All right. We should. Do it. (laughs) Get that on the calendar. Find out if we're serial killer genius or not (laughs) my guess is not but you know (laughs) so the judge in this case said that he was a highly intelligent person excuse me and should be pushed to advance academically while in prison but that he was likely not to be rehabilitated so the judge Mm. felt there's no way he's going to be rehabilitated but go ahead and help him get a you know education but his attorney at the time said the complete opposite that he didn't think he would reoffend once released if he served his sentence. Hmm. Wonder what the psychologist said. You know, I do not know. Hmm. Interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. So while he, he's in prison, he had some citations of being violent, but once he turned 20, it's like those stopped and he just wasn't violent in jail anymore. He also, while in prison, attended and graduated from Central Arizona College with a bachelor's degree in computer science, and he served his 14 years of that 15-year sentence. Oh, wow. The whole thing almost. Yeah, okay. pretty much. And he was released in 2001, at which point he moves back to South Carolina to be near his mom. Okay. So... From January of 2002 until November of 2003, he was a graphic designer for a company in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So he's he's in his 30s at this time, right? Just about, yeah. Yeah, because he got out at 29. So, yeah. Yeah, he was just just 30. 
In 2003, he started at Greenville Technical College, but transferred to the University of South Carolina in 2004 and graduated from there in 2008 with a Bachelor's of, Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration Marketing. Wow. And during his years in college, in 2006, he also obtained his real estate license, despite being a sex offender. Oh. Oh. Bleh. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. This guy's a sex offender, and he has to register as a sex offender. I mean, great, great. He went to college, all that. But he lied on the application to get his real estate license. That always creeps me out, going into houses with people, and you don't really know. And they don't do a good job with real estate people. Well, yeah. And I mean, just to know that someone like him could – all he has to do is, like, not check a box, you know, on an application. Hmm. And, like, what's – there should be a process past that. Like you shouldn't probably just is. only check the person if they check the felony box. You know, like because everybody yeah. could just say, nope, never been committed of a felony. And then you don't check further. I don't, I mean, maybe there's different regulations. I'm, well, I mean, you know, there has to be different regulations for different jobs like teaching and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, still, still bad that he lies on an application and gets this job. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to build a very successful real estate firm called Todd Colehep and Associates and employs many agents over the years. Side note, he also has a private pilot license and supposedly owns multiple properties out of the state, but I did not really look into that further. Mm -hmm. Besides just, you know, seeing that and wanting to mention it. So he's a super smart, successful businessman in this small town. Mm -hmm. Who can clearly be charming if he's attaining all of this you know Mm -hmm. he's was an angry kid and didn't get along with anybody but now he's all of a sudden this charming person that can talk his way into you know degrees and (laughs) real estate and anyway in may of 2014 he buys woodruff farm which is a 95 acre piece of land in spartanburg county and this land is about eight miles from his residence. So he has a house and then eight miles away is this land. Mm, it's a big, big piece of land. Yes. And it was just a piece of land with like a few buildings on it. And the rest was just kind of densely wooded areas. So here is where we will just take a short break because we are about to get into the business of Todd. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be right back. Okay. So here we go. Are you ready to get into that? His crimes, <laughs> besides his preschool rap. Yeah, besides the besides the uh, the teenage crimes. His crimes are a bit hard to unravel, but I'm going to try and do my best at telling his story in a way that makes the most sense. Okay. On September 3rd of 2016, so this isn't that long ago that all no. of this unraveled. Like Joanne, four years ago, almost exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. Joanne Shiflett goes to the Anderson Police, which is basically another area of South Carolina. It's like about – it's northwest South Carolina. So it's a little bit further away from where he lives, but it's not far. I mean, it's a drive, like maybe 40 miles or something like that. So she reports her son, Charles David Carver, missing. She last had communication with him on August 29th. She tried calling and texting him several times, and those calls and texts went unanswered. She also tried contacting his girlfriend, Kayla Brown, but she couldn't get a hold of her either. Now, on September 5th, Kayla Brown was reported missing by her friend, Leah Miller. Leah had heard 
from Kayla on August 30th when she told her that she was in Greenville and on her way home. And on the 31st, she got a text real late just asking, are you up? Like kind of early in the morning, I think. So Mm -hmm. I guess it was early on the 31st. But she didn't get it until the next morning. And then so she tried calling back but then didn't hear from her. She tried going to her house, left notes on her car, nothing. She couldn't just couldn't get a hold of her. So now we have Kayla and Charles, who are dating, reported missing by two separate people. Hmm. On September 7th, the police prepare search warrants to track their cell phones. They start mapping the pings from the cell phones since the last date of communication from them. And these signals are pretty unreliable, apparently. This is what I've learned on their own. So they were collecting that data, but they still would need more to be able to kind of pinpoint exactly where they were. So on September 21st, Charles's friend gets a strange message from his Facebook, from Charles's Facebook account. And it was Charles asking for money for drugs to help him get off of other drugs. So he wanted to try and get a specific drug to help him get off drugs, which is kind of strange. But but Charles wasn't known to have a drug problem. Like his friend's like, I, I don't even know him to take drugs. So I don't mm. think he had a problem that he needed another drug to get off of it. And around this time, Charles's dad had also noticed that something was posted on Facebook saying something about marrying Kayla. But he's like, I know he wouldn't post that because he actually isn't technically divorced from his first wife yet. Oh. So he said that was just a strange post and he knew something was kind of fishy about that. So police then get search warrants for their Facebook accounts. And a week later, they start scouring through Charles's and his soon-to-be ex-wife's just to, Mm -hmm. you know, cover all the bases. And then they get access to Kayla's on October 14th. So it took a little bit longer to get hers for some reason. And as they went through their phone and Facebook accounts, police saw several messages about the two going to meet a Todd Colehep at his property to help him clear some brush for the day. So they had like written their friends saying they were going to go do this and make some money and clear land on mm. some of brush off the of Todd Colehep's property. Don't so this is where me. Todd enters the story. So they start looking into Todd and he, they realize that he has a 95 acre property that is within the mapping area that they had the data from the cell phones. Ah, So, it's suggested that they were near his property when their last communications went out. The police from Anderson and Spartanburg, because they're two different juris- jurisdictions, took a trip out to the property, which had a large fence around it and had all these signs warning people not to trespass because they would be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. These are standard signs from Ace Hardware, by the way. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> private property, keep out, you know, yeah. some, some people put it on their, you know, sheds behind your house in your own neighborhood to keep your children out of their yard. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they do. They do. I know just the neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe it happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> so they also brought a drone out and just kind of flew it over the property just to kind of see what they can see. But all they saw was a lot of trees and a few buildings and nothing super significant. So, but they felt that they had enough information to get a search warrant. So they processed the search warrant for Todd's phone and Facebook accounts on October 31st. 
to kind of, I guess, gather more information to search the property, I should say. It's interesting that you can get search warrants for people's Facebook. I know. Remember that, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, you know, nothing is gone. Just because you delete it <laughs> doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it can't be found That's ever right. again. So with all that they had, the Anderson and Spartanburg Police Departments decided that they have enough to justify executing a search warrant on Todd's property after they start searching his phone. On November 3rd, investigators from both departments hatch a plan together. The lead investigator from Anderson would, who that's where the missing people are from. So they're investigating, you know, where they are and they've just joined forces with the Spartanburg police. Mm -hmm. So the lead investigator from there would join a few Spartanburg police officers and head over to Todd's residence at 8 a.m. And meanwhile, the other Anderson investigator and deputies from Spartanburg would head over to his 95-acre property Mm. and start searching the property at the same time. So this is a distraction plan. Yes, essentially. And what they discover there will shock them and all of you. But you're just going to have to wait until tomorrow. (gasps) Tag on. <laughs> I like it. I love that this is recent. Yes, yes, I did. I do like that about this one. Me too. The past couple that we have done have been from the seventies, and there's no DNA. And now it's like they've got drones and they've got Facebook search warrants, and this is cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Dark yeah, and twisty, cool. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Although, although dark and twisty, I really, really enjoyed going over to um, Gacy's house. <laughs> so. Oh yes. How, Sorry, and, forgot to mention that in the beginning of this. You have to tell that story too. How was that? It was really. So I had two two of my children in the car with me. <laughs> what are we doing, mom? They were just watching a movie in the back, but um, it was. It was like 12 miles from the hotel we were staying at. So I'm like, I have to go. And just driving down the street, I started getting like these like butterflies in my stomach. Weird. Like I was super yeah. nervous because I'm like, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, what like the neighborhood in general is going to look like. And the street leading in kind of looked like back in the 70s, like they still had those kind of style houses. But then the street that he lives on has like more updated stuff or lived on. And clearly his house was torn down and rebuilt. So it's way more updated now. But it was just really weird to just know that that all happened. And it, I don't know. It was like this excitement because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm at a serial killer's house. Yeah, and you're so invested <laughs> but, too. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, I cannot believe I'm excited to be at a house that 30 or was it 29 bodies were pulled out of. <laughs> like, come on. What's wrong with you? Come on. And then there was this – there was a neighbor – an older gentleman. He probably lived there when Gacy was there. That's how old this guy was. He was like coming out to check his mail. And I felt really awkward that I was just going to get out of my car and like take a selfie real quick and get back in. You know that he knows why you're there. Right. Exactly. They have to, they have to know. So I get out of the car and I like pop the trunk and pretend I'm like trying to find something in my trunk. And then I take a couple steps back and then like take the selfie and then close the trunk and get back in. And he's walking away, grumbling under his breath. There's another one of those white women with a podcast. 
like, damn serial killer addicts. <laughs> anyway. You guys have to go to our Instagram or Facebook and check out her selfie in front of Todd Gacy's house and go back and listen if you haven't listened. So John Wayne Gacy, not Todd. You're John. Confused. Oh my gosh. I'm fine. Don't worry. <laughs> See, my our brains are fried, but we're having a great time. As you can tell, we are yes. in it to win it for you guys with these serial killers this month. We are really giving it our all. We will be glad when it's over, but we love it. So let us know what you think. Tune in tomorrow for part two of the Todd Cole help Cole Hep. Mm-hmm. Cole Hep. Yeah. Todd Cole Hep case. And uh, find us on Facebook and Instagram and give us your thoughts on Serial Killer September. If you want to write us a little review and give us some five stars, we would not be mad at you about that. And you can send us an email. You can find us on our website. You can do all those things. Yep. Do them all. But what you really, really need to do is remember. That the world is scary, people suck, hide in your closet.